Good morning. My name is Gary Weber. It's my privilege to serve as the pastor here at Southside Baptist Church, and we're glad you're here to worship with us today. Uh, we have a picture of the week I'd like to share with you. This is actually from last night at, Veterans, uh, at the Veterans uh, Memorial Arena downtown, the Franklin Graham Festival of Hope. There were uh, several Southsiders who went through the training, and then there were uh, several who participated in counseling and serving these last two nights. And then that event is going on still today at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and We've been so thrilled to partner with other churches in the city of Jacksonville to bring this event. And last night there were hundreds of young people that came down to the floor to pray to receive Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't been a part, go down to the Veteran, Veterans Memorial Arena today at 4 and be a part of, uh, of this afternoon's final presentation of the Festival of Hope. And uh, of course the hope that Franklin Graham is speaking of is faith in Jesus Christ. And what I would like to talk to you today is about faith. Um, because faith is a word that we use uh, sort of loosely, and, and I think almost inaccurately. You hear people all the time described as either a person of faith or not a person of faith. The, 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 the reality is there really is no such thing as a person without faith. Everybody has faith. The question is, in what? Where do they place their faith? You have faith, all of you here, uh, even if I don't know your religious background or what you Think about what the Bible says about, uh, about Jesus or about God. You have faith. I know because you found a way to get here today. And if you got in a car, you have faith. If you drove on 95 through the construction zone, you have a lot of faith. If you've ever been on an airplane, you have faith. If you have money in any financial institution other than your mattress, you have faith faith of some kind. You, you have faith. We have to have faith in order to survive. You, you have faith in the people that is, are in your life, the relationships that you have, the relationships you have with co-workers. We are all people of faith. So what does it mean then? What does it mean to, to have faith? And, and how much faith do you have to have to please God? Well, what I'd like to talk to you about today is the reality that the object of your faith is more important than the strength or the quantity of your faith. Let me say that to you one more time. The object of your faith is more important than the strength or the quality of your faith. Tim Keller said it this way, it's the object of your faith, not the quality or the strength of your faith that saves you. Let me use an illustration here. Uh, something that happened uh, several years ago to me. I was involved with a new church in Huntsville before I came to Jacksonville. And when I arrived at the, at the church, we were meeting in a rented facility that we could use all the time. It was ours all the time. We didn't have to set up and take down. And so we were grateful for that. And the church had chairs that looked like this. They were actually this exact style chair. Uh, the fabric was different, but this was the nut chair. And it was a nice chair. We liked these chairs because these chairs are comfortable. They're really padded on the bottom. You kind of sink into it. The back is soft. It's a little wider for your convenience. Um, they're, they're really, really nice and comfortable chairs. The problem with this chair is that when, when the church had grown to a certain size, uh, we realized we were going to have to relocate. We are going to have to move. So my very first job um, when I came on staff at this church was to coordinate the move, the transition, from this rented facility to becoming a portable church. 
which meant that we were going to meet in the school's cafeteria, the local school, and we were going to have to set everything up and take everything down every week. Well, as great as these chairs are, you do not want to have to take these chairs down every week. They're heavy. They don't stack well. They don't store well. We didn't have a lot of storage space. So I went on the internet and found what I thought was the perfect chair. It was lightweight. It was easily, you could stack it easy. It didn't take up a lot of space. And best of all, it was cheap because we didn't have a lot of money. So these are the chairs that we bought to replace (laughs) these chairs. Now, I was the stewardship committee's favorite staff member because these were all so cheap. They didn't cost us a lot of money. We could buy a lot of them. So we got these chairs out. They just snap right in place, set that thing down. We lined them up in the first day that we were meeting in the school. We had advertised. We'd put out banners. We had we, the best coffee. We had all the, our children's programming was ready. The music that day was outstanding. We'd put all the chairs out. We'd lined up about 300 of them in this cafeteria. We were ready to have some church. And so I'm up on stage, the music's gone well, and, and the music's ended, and everybody sits down, and I'm on stage, and I notice right back in that section, suddenly, there is somebody, everybody sits down, somebody just kind of drops out of view. I thought, huh, well, that's strange. About a minute later, somebody over here falls down. And then in the very back of the room, I see somebody fall down. And all of a sudden, it, I realized, these chairs aren't strong enough to hold the people sitting in them. And when we took them up that day, we found a little tiny label right on the bottom of the chair that says, not recommended for over 180 pounds. Now, here's my point. When you came in today, just like all the people that came into that church service that day, you demonstrated faith just by sitting down. Because you believed that the chair in which you are sitting could hold you. And you sat in it. You demonstrated your faith by sitting in the chair. Here's the point. The amount of your faith, the strength of your faith is irrelevant if the object of your faith isn't strong enough to hold you. You see, I could go to this chair with all kinds of doubts and fears and distrust. I could want to read the manufacturer's guide. I could want to know what it was made of. I could study its kind. I could want to interview the people who built the chair. I could research it and study it. I could have all kinds of doubts. But ultimately, my doubts and the limited faith I have in this chair have nothing to do with whether or not the chair will hold me. It's completely dependent on the chair itself. Likewise, I could approach this chair with all kinds of confidence taking it for granted that it will hold me. And I could come to it with, with, with bravado and certainty, and I could plop myself right down in it, and it would fall out from underneath me. Because it's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the strength of the object in which you are placing your faith. 
I'd like us to look today at a passage of Scripture at the very end of John chapter 4. You can go ahead and find that passage in the Bibles either in front of you. We'll also place it on the screens. But before we get there, just to sort of review, uh, we've been making our way through the Gospel of John this year. And uh, there's a theme in John's Gospel that I want to remind you about because it has to do with faith. It has to do with the purpose of John's Gospel. Here's what John said at the very end of his Gospel, chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs. John chose seven of these signs that he is going to tell us about throughout the course of his Gospel. Between chapter 2 and chapter 12, sometimes that's called the book of signs, he, he, he outlined seven signs. But he did many more than these uh, signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written here's the key this is why john chose these signs these are written so that you may what's that next word believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name john wrote these signs the miracles that john chose to write about specifically to increase your faith to give you confidence in Jesus because he knew that by placing your faith in Jesus, you could be saved. Now there's a diagram that we have that I'd like to just show you just to kind of outline these signs for you, these signs that John wrote about. We looked at the water turning into wine back in chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verse 43 through 54, when Jesus heals the royal official son. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. After two days, he left from Galilee. Now, this, this is kind of wrapping up Jesus' time in Samaria. You remember Jesus was passing from Jerusalem up to Galilee, and he passed through Samaria on his way. He ended up st- spending two days there in an impromptu revival because this woman at the well had gone back. She brought the whole village out. They'd asked Jesus to stay, so he had stayed. So two days later, he left, and he's headed to Galilee. And it says this, and it's kind of as a side Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So if you've ever heard that phrase before, a prophet has no honor in his hometown, you you know part of the Bible. You may not even think you know the Bible, but there it is. That's in the Bible. Jesus had been back to his hometown. Everybody knew him there. Everybody there was familiar with him. And he didn't have the same level of respect uh, from the people in Galilee that he had had in other places. And we're going to see that played out in this very passage Uh, Verse 45, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Now we know that when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he had created quite a stir. He He had cleansed the temple. He had really upset the religious establishment. Everybody was talking about Jesus. We also know from the other gospel accounts that he had performed some other miracles there that John didn't record. So the people in Galilee who were in Jerusalem for the same religious festival were now back in Galilee. They were all talking about Jesus. But when, so when Jesus finally arrived, they were anxious to come out, come out and meet him in that place. Verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. So John's almost telling you, hey, remember the first sign I told you about, because I'm getting ready to tell you about another one. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now, 
I want to talk about this royal official today. I want to talk about the faith of this royal official because some of us, actually I would say all of us, can relate to this royal official. In one of two ways. We can relate to him on the journey to Jesus or we can relate to him on his journey leaving Jesus, going back to his hometown. Now I want you to think about this guy. We know that he was not from Galilee. He did not see the signs and the wonders and the miracles that had happened in Jerusalem. And yet he came to find Jesus because his situation was so desperate. And he came not based on faith. He came based on reason and intellect. See, faith is not absent of reason. A lot of people in our culture today want to try to pit faith and reason against one another. As if you are either a person of reason and intellect and science, or you're a person of faith. But if you're a person of faith, the implication is that you're not a person of reason or intellect. And I would say that's not true. That actually this man came to Jesus based on logic and based on reason. He had a son who was sick. And he had heard testimony that there was this man from Galilee who had performed miracles. And he thought, if I could just get to this guy, maybe he could heal my son. My guess is he had already exhausted all of the options that he had in his hometown. Because that's what I would have done. And it's what you would have done. If your child is sick, you do whatever you need to do for your child to be well. He had exhausted all of his options And so he had reasoned that it was time to go to find this person that he was hearing about, Jesus, who had healed others. And so he came. But here's the thing. While faith is not absent of reason, faith cannot be built on reason alone. Listen to what happens next. Verse 48. This guy comes to Jesus. My son is sick. He's close to death. Listen to Jesus' response. Unless you people see signs and wonders... You will never believe. Now, this is almost offensive. This man is clearly in anguish. He's clearly disturbed at the condition of his son. He has come a tremendous distance. He's walked 20 miles to come to Jesus. He's put himself in front of Jesus and said, Will you come and heal my son? And Jesus' response is, "Ah, You people. You just won't believe unless you see signs and wonders, will you? Now, we got to ask ourselves a couple questions about this statement. First of all, why would Jesus say this? And second, and and maybe even as as important, is who is Jesus speaking to? Who's he talking to? First of all, let's just consider that he says, you people, plural, meaning that he's talking to the entire crowd of people who had gathered there. The Galileans who had seen signs and wonders in Jerusalem were now in Galilee, very excited to see Jesus, but maybe they weren't excited to see Jesus. Maybe what they were excited to see was the show. Maybe they were anxious for the hometown boy to come home and do some of the things in his hometown that he had done in other places. Now, I want you to contrast this with what Jesus had just experienced for the two previous days. He'd been in Samaria, and he was in Samaria, and and We don't have any recorded miracles in Samaria. And yet listen to what John said back in verse 41. And because of his, Jesus, because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. The people in Samaria chose to believe Jesus not based on what they saw, not based on the miracles that they had seen because they didn't see any. 
They chose to believe Jesus based on the words that he said. They took Jesus at his word. They believed him. And Jesus is comparing the Samaritans, who many people said, many of the Jews said, well, they're not even, they're not even moral people. Those, th- those people aren't even worthy. And, and the Galileans, who were his hometown, his hometown uh, Jewish fellow Jewish believers, morally upright, morally upstanding people, and yet it was the Samaritans who believed without needing to see evidence. So, so Jesus, speaking to this crowd, says, you people, you won't believe anything unless you see it. But the Samaritans believed it based on my words. But he's also speaking to this man. This man was in the crowd, this man who had traveled all the way from Capernaum. Why would he have said that? Well, it has to be motivated out of love. And it has to be motivated out of something more that he wanted for this man. And I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it's he wanted this man to have faith. He didn't want just to, to answer his prayer. He wanted this man to have faith. And so when he says that, this man stayed. This man pressed through this challenge that Jesus sort of leveled at him. And he ended up with a son who was made well. Jesus did this a lot. There's another story in the scripture where there's a a Syrophoenician woman. She's not Jewish. She comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, my daughter is possessed by a demon. I know you can heal him. And Jesus said to her, maybe the most offensive thing Jesus said in all the Gospels, he said, woman, the meal is for the sons and the daughters. Why would I take it and give it to the dogs? This woman called, this, Jesus called this woman a dog. And this woman didn't flinch. You know what she said? She said, yes, but even the dogs eat the scraps. And Jesus said, I have never seen this kind of faith. Your daughter's healed. You see, there was a test involved. There was a test. Do you really believe? Are you willing to press through the challenging words of Jesus in order to experience the faith that Jesus has to offer you? See, many of us, when when we would have heard Jesus say, you people, we'd we'd have walked away. We wouldn't have pressed in. We would have been offended. We would have gotten our feelings hurt. And we would have turned and we would have gone back home and our child would have died. But that's not, that's not what this woman did. So what is Jesus saying? Unless you people see a sign, you will not believe. Part of what he's talking about here is that the signs, all these signs and miracles that Jesus would perform pointing to Jesus must not become the focus of our attention, but rather... Their design, the reason Jesus performed miracles was to direct our attention to what they're intended to show us and that is Jesus is the Messiah. The signs are not the main thing. The miracles are not the main thing. Do you know what was going to happen to this royal official's son? He would be healed only to die again later. Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead only to die again. The water was going to be turned into wine only to be exhausted and used up by the people at the wedding feast all the signs are temporary but they are pointing to something eternal and Jesus is saying listen you are looking for signs when you have standing with you the fulfillment of every promise that you've been longing for in Jesus Christ and it causes us to wonder are we just looking for what Jesus can do for us or are we looking for Jesus 
because there's a difference. Jesus, in his ministry, had experienced many occasions where people were just coming to him for what he could offer them in the moment. But that is not why Jesus came. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, not temporarily. And so Jesus wants, wants this man to have a faith that will benefit him, not just in the temporary, but for all eternity. N.T. Wright said this, The word has become flesh, but suppose people admire the flesh so much that they forget about the word. That we get so enamored with the works of Jesus that we forget who Jesus is. Now this idea of believing based on only what we can see is throughout the Gospel of John. And John's at the end of John's Gospel, he comes back to it one more time in a famous encounter that you remember. You remember Jesus had uh, been crucified, he'd been buried three days, there were rumors that he was alive. All of the disciples had seen him except Thomas. And Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can touch the wounds myself. So Jesus shows up and Thomas gets to see Jesus in the flesh. Thomas falls on his face before Jesus and listen to what Jesus said to him. John 20, verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know that Jesus was talking about you? And Jesus was talking about me. Now, I know some of you come to church and you think, I don't have, I'm not a great person of faith. I don't have much faith. I wish I had the faith of, of Peter, and I wish I had the pa- faith of Paul, and I wish I had the faith of John. Do you know what this passage tells me? That you, in fact, may have more faith than them. Because they believe based on what they had seen. You and I have the opportunity to believe based not on what we've seen, but on what we've read and what we've heard And what we've committed in our hearts to place our faith and trust in. And that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and raised again in three days. You have tremendous faith. Even if it's small faith. Not because of the quality of your faith, but because of where you have chosen to place your faith. And this man, this royal official, we don't even know his name is about to demonstrate tremendous faith. Listen to what happened next. Verse 49, chapter 4. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now what had Jesus just said? You people. You just won't believe anything unless you see a sign. And this man presses in. He doesn't get offended. He presses in. He says, Jesus... I'm not, I don't have time to be offended. I don't have time to argue or debate. Just come with me because my child is about to die. And I've heard that you can heal him. Won't you come with me? And Jesus says this in verse 50. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. And then listen to this statement of faith. I want you to read this with me. We'll put it on the screen. Verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. Do you know why this is such a big deal? 
Because if you were to study scriptures throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, uh, the great uh, characters in the Old Testament who did miraculous signs, there's, there's, there's several things they have in common. But one thing that they all have in common is that they had to be present in order for the miracle to be performed. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the prophets, they had to be present. Elisha and Elijah, they had to be present for the miracle to be performed. So when this man came to Jesus, he came with the full intention that Jesus would come with him back to Capernaum to heal his son. Because that's how you do it. That's how people are healed. You find the priest, you find the prophet... They come, they lay hands on the person, they pray for the person, and the person is healed. This person comes to Jesus, the royal official comes to Jesus, come with me. You people. The first demonstration of faith. The man is undetoured. Jesus, unless you come with me, my son will die. Second test of faith. I'm not going with you. You've got to go by yourself. And your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And don't you know that that was the longest 20-mile walk of this man's life? Can you just think, just put yourself in this situation. If you're you're a parent and you have a child, imagine yourself walking for 20 miles and with every step, there's something inside of you that wonders. Is my son really going to live? Is Jesus really powerful enough to speak the word? And 20 miles away, circumstances change? And he walked one mile, and two miles, and three miles. And don't you know that every step he took was a little faster than the step before because he was so concerned for his son, but he had just enough faith to take the 20-mile walk. Some of you are on a 20-mile walk. You've been to Jesus. You had enough faith to come to him. And you trusted him. Even if it was just a little bit, you trusted him enough to make a decision and to turn your life and you have not seen the fulfillment of your prayers the person that you love still battling depression the child that you care about is still sick or wayward or lost there's still not enough money in the account to cover the retirement there there are still so many things on your 20 mile walk and you don't know how it's going to work out And so you do what this man did. You take the next step. And every step on the 20-mile journey is a step of faith. And you journey with the doubt. And you journey with the worry. And you journey not knowing. And the fear. It's all there. Don't you know this man continued to have doubts and fears and worries? But he had just enough faith to take Jesus at his word. This man had decided, I'm going to trust him because I've got no choice. I've got no other choice but to put my confidence and my faith in him. And he took Jesus at his word and that is the essence of faith. 
that you believe not based on what you've seen or what you can prove, but based on the Word of God. And the Word was just about to become flesh for this man. His faith was about to move from the intellectual, rational belief to a life-changing trust. Look what happens in verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servant met him with the news that his boy was living. I get the image that this servant had been waiting, maybe at the edge of the property, just looking out for the master because he wanted to be the one. I want to be the one to give the good news that the, that the master's son is alive. And so the minute he sees him in the distance, much like the, the prodigal story, the prodigal son, he, he, he runs to the man. And I've got to believe that this man was running towards the servant to get any evidence, any news of what had happened. And the servant says, your son will be alive. Your son is, is, is alive and he's well. When he inquired, listen to this, before he reached the house, The man just had to know. When the royal official inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Now, step away from this for one second, because this is one of those verses that it's easy to just fly right past without thinking through it. But I want you to think for just a minute about the perspective of this story from the servant's vantage point. At one o'clock in the afternoon, unexplicably, this boy's fever breaks. And he gets better. They don't know where their master is. They don't know who he was talking to. They have nothing, nothing to explain why the boy gets better. What happens? The boy just gets better. The servants were able to see what the master was not able to see. The servants saw the miracle, but they're not, they're not acknowledged as having faith on their own. The person who has the faith is the person who didn't see it, but was making his way back to his son. The man heard Jesus speak the words, and without seeing, believed, and it was credited to him as faith. Verse 53, then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And look at the results. So he and his whole household believed. Everybody in the house came to faith because of the faith of this royal official. And then John reminds us this was the second sign performed after after coming from Judea to Galilee. It's incredible. An incredible story of faith. And for some of you here today, you are either this man on your way to Jesus, or you're this man on your way leaving Jesus. You are either coming to Jesus with some thought in your mind, some hope that he may be who he said he is and able to do what he said he can do. But you just aren't sure. And I just want to say to you, the amount of your faith, the quality of your faith is not what's important. The object of your faith is what matters. See, you can have all the faith in the world in Muhammad, but he will not save you. You can have all the faith in the world in the great Hindu teachings, but they will not save you. You can have all the confidence in the world in Joseph Smith, but he will not save you. 
You can have full faith and trust in the federal government of the United States of America. It will not save you. But just a little bit of faith in Jesus and you will be saved. Some of you need to acknowledge that you may have enough faith right now to be saved. How much more faith do you need? Jesus said the faith of a mustard seed is enough. But some of you are this man, you've been to Jesus and you're walking your 20-mile journey. And I just want to tell you to keep walking. Don't give up. And I know there are parts of the journey that feel long and hopeless and you're not sure if your prayers are going to be answered. But I can tell you this, the Bible says that you see now dimly, but there is coming a day when you will see fully, face to face. Keep walking. Keep walking in faith. I want to show you a picture of a fellow by the name of Charles Blandin. He was a French um, acrobat, kind of a stunt man in the late 1800s, he became famous for putting a tightrope across Niagara Falls and walking across it. And when that wasn't impressive enough, he did it blindfolded. And then when that wasn't impressive enough, he decided that he would carry his manager across on his back. This is a picture of him doing that. And the crowds would gather when they'd hear, you know, what the next stunt that that he was going to do. They'd come out and they'd look and they'd see this happened. So on one occasion, he actually, on the tightrope, he cooked an, cooked an omelet and ate it. Uh, on another occasion, he took a wheel, wheelbarrow and he put uh, 200 pounds in the wheelbarrow and he crossed the tightrope um, with the 200 pounds wheelbarrow. Now, this story has been told um, by a lot of preachers, which means it may not be true. But the story goes like this. When he, when he finished walking across the tightrope with this wheelbarrow with 200 pounds in it, he, uh, he got off and the crowd was going crazy. They were so, you know, so impressed. And so Charles issued an opportunity to anybody in the crowd. He said, okay, you just saw me cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope with a wheelbarrow with 200 pounds in it. Now, I would invite any of you who are willing to get in the wheelbarrow and I'll push you across. And nobody took him up on his offer. They had seen him do it. But seeing him do it and trusting him with their life were two very different things. See, there's a difference between believing something and trusting someone. And Jesus' invitation for you isn't just to believe, but it's to turn your belief into action by taking the 20-mile walk and trusting him. How much faith does it take for a chair like this to hold me? Just enough faith to sit down. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and we are in awe of the story of this royal official who demonstrated faith, perhaps in a way that we are not used to seeing it demonstrated. Some would call it blind faith. Some may even call it foolish faith. And yet, 
because of his faith, his son was made well. Lord, there are people who are here today who, much like this man, they don't have much evidence for what they believe. Lord, maybe their faith is better described just as a suspicion that you love them enough to save them through your son Jesus. Father, I believe that's enough faith. I believe it's enough faith not just to change the circumstances here, but to change the circumstances for eternity. So Lord, today I would pray that that person who's waiting for more faith in order to trust you would stop waiting for more and instead trust that even their little bit of faith in you is enough to save them. Lord, for those who are here today who are on their 20-mile journey home, they've found you, they've, they believe in your word, and yet they still haven't seen evidence of their faith. Father, help them to keep walking. Give them the confidence of knowing that what they cannot see now, you will reveal to them. And if not in this life, Father, then as you welcome them in to eternity, Lord, I'd pray that you would not necessarily increase our faith, but Father, give us a greater confidence in the object of our faith. And Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to take steps to make changes based on the faith that we have in you. Father, for those who are here, who have never publicly professed their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, I pray that even today they might take that step of faith. Father, for those who are on the long journey of 20 miles, I pray that they'll know they're not walking that journey alone, but that we walk it together and that they'd find encouragement in that even today. Father, speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts and move in this time. For we pray in Christ's name, amen.